Good to see all of you today. I'm glad that you are here and that we have this chance to to gather as the people of God and what we are referred to as the household of God and that we have an opportunity to come today to worship together, to pray together, to sing, to hear God's word. I, I don't it's just not it's not just an empty intro. Like I'm very thankful that we have the chance to do this and, and that you are here today to participate. And I hope to make the case to you this morning of the reality that we can't visibly see with our eyes. But that reality being that God has made certain unique, specific promises to us as His people. And one of them is that when we gather in His name, He is among us. So it is not just the picture that our prayers and our songs and our thoughts drift up to heaven, but God has promised in a very mysterious way that He descends and dwells among His people and with His people. And so we have that promise. And I said this in the prayer room earlier to our, to our leadership team as we were praying, but I have zero doubt that if we could see that with our eyes, the way we respond would be vastly different. The posture that we have right now, the posture that we took this morning while we were singing and praying, if we could visibly see the reality of God in our midst, that posture would radically change. And God has not designed for us to visibly see it yet. But we are called to see it in faith. With the eyes of our spirit to believe what He has said. And what he has said is that he is in our midst right now in this moment. God is with his people. And I pray that whether it is in quiet ways or loud ways, that this morning he affirms that to us. We are starting a a, a new series, new preaching series called House of Prayer. We're going to spend about six or seven weeks in this series. And you may or may not ask, why would we spend so long talking about prayer? Prayer is not always easy. I think if you're a believer, that's kind of a common experience, that prayer isn't always easy. And I I think that even the most experienced believer, those of you in this room who have walked with Christ the longest, we all understand that we tend toward times of prayerlessness in our life. You right now in this moment, in this season, may be in one of those times. A time of prayerlessness. We all have those. And when I say prayerlessness, I mean either not praying at all, Or you're praying as a religious exercise, but not really connecting to a purpose. You're praying because you know you should, but there's really not a heart connection between you and God as you pray. And so this happens with all of us, but God has ordained prayer as one of the primary means by which we abide with Jesus. And that's why we talk about it. That's why we're going to take so long to ponder prayer, because it is one of the primary ways that God has said, through this activity, you will abide with Christ. And what Jesus said is, if you abide with me, essentially, if you abide with me, my word abides in you, You can ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. Which is a signal of incredible spiritual power. When the Word of God is in us and we're praying God's Word and we are abiding with Christ in prayer, 
and we are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus also said, if you don't abide with me, you can do nothing. You can be busy, but you're not going to really accomplish anything of eternal significance. And prayer is how we abide. It is one of the primary ways that we abide with Christ. So I make the case to you that if abiding in Christ is the key to living a powerful life in the Holy Spirit, and if prayer is one of the primary means by which we abide with Jesus, that means the measure of God's power that you have in your life is undeniably connected to your prayers, to how well we pray. So my, my hope for us, my aim for us in this series, and I put this in your worship guide, and sometimes seeing goals written down is helpful to us, sometimes it's not, but I, I put our goal and our aim for this series in your worship guide directly under Mark 11. What I hope, what I am praying for in this series, in this time, is this is a spark for us, that we would come to embrace wholeheartedly the critical necessity of prayer for the Christian life. In other words, we would understand and embrace, we must pray. And at the same time, that we would joyfully grow in prayer. I don't want us to just embrace our need to pray and pray begrudgingly. I want us to know we must pray. But I also want us to know that we are to pray with joy. That it is to be a joy to us to pray. And I want that to be evident to us. That we would delight in praying in the manner that God intends us to pray. I think this series will be most beneficial. I think this series will be the most helpful to those of us who are willing to take an opportunity to really look at our own life and our walk with Christ and our own prayers and, and ask hard questions of ourselves and be willing to change in what we see God leading us to. In your worship guide this morning, I put another sheet of paper. So if you picked up one of those if you'll look at that extra sheet of paper in the worship guide, if you didn't get one, uh, please um, get one, or if we, if we ran out or anything, let me know that. But there's a, a sheet on there that says, Questions for Self-Reflection. I want to invite you to take time this week, sometime in the next six days, to sit and take this sheet and ask these questions of yourself and answer them. And they're just meant to be some self-diagnostic, self-reflection questions on prayer. And just be honest, you're not going to, no one else has to see your answers. But what I intend to do is at the end of this series, I'm going to put this sheet back into your worship guide and I'm going to ask you to do it a second time. And what I hope you do is see how you answered at the beginning of this time of focus on prayer and how you answer at the end of this time of focus on prayer and that you could see maybe what God has revealed to you or taught you. And, and I want to have a little bit of fun with this. So just as an aside, not extremely important because our motivation should be to grow in God and nothing else. But I, I do intend that those of you who do this, who complete this at the beginning and at the end, and you kind of look for the differences, and, and at the end of the series you come and tell me that. I'm going to take everybody who completes this exercise, and, and, uh, and one of you uh, I'm going to give a gift basket to of some of my favorite books on prayer, prayer journals, some pens, a gift card, and then I'm going to give that to you and you can use that for yourself or you can gift it to someone else. And it's just a thank you for taking, uh, taking uh, part in this exercise of self-reflection. So I hope you will consider doing this. All right. In his little booklet called A Call to Prayer, J.C. Ryle, and by the way, there's at least three copies of that little booklet, A Call to Prayer, in our resource library if you're interested in it. But J.C. Ryle, Josh Dean, introduced this booklet to us a few months ago at a men's gathering. But J.C. Ryle said this, There are certain things absolutely needful to the soul's health and well-being. 
And each person must attend to these things for himself. Each person must repent for himself. Each person must seek after Christ for himself. And for himself, each person must speak to God and pray. You must do it for yourself. For by nobody else can it be done. To be prayerless is to be without God. To be prayerless is to be without Christ. To be prayerless is to be without grace, without hope, and without heaven. Ultimately, to be prayerless is to be on the road to hell. Now, is there any wonder that I would ask you this question? Do you pray? Now, I don't believe J.C. Ryle was saying that we're saved by a work or a work of prayer. Although we do pray to begin our Christian life, a confession and an asking in some form of Christ to save us. But only he's saying we're saved by a work. I don't think that he is denying the fact that all of us grow in prayer. And we're not, quote unquote, as good at prayer at the beginning of our Christian life as we may be as we mature. I don't believe he's denying that. But I think the point that J.C. Ryle is making in that booklet is that one of the clearest evidences of the real saving work of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you have a habit of sincere, passionate, private prayer. That in your life, you desire to pray. That in your life, you have a longing for that and a passion for that. Because, as a believer... You come to a place of understanding that prayer is about being alone with God and pouring your heart out to Him. And that is the case that I want to make to you this morning. It is how I want to begin this series. In your worship guide, this life truth is how I want us to start, not just today, but this entire series on prayer. A believer will consistently, earnestly, and joyfully pray as they grow in embracing prayer as a means of being present with God whom they love. That you and I will become more consistent in prayer. We will become more joyful in prayer. We will become more earnest in prayer. The more we understand prayer to be the means by which, or one of the primary means by which, we are present with God and we love God and we want to be with Him. There are many purposes in the Bible that show us why we pray. As a matter of fact, I ask you that in that little sheet of paper. It's the very first question. Why do you think God has called you to pray? And I want you to answer that very honestly. What what do you think the purpose of prayer is? Why do you think God has given us prayer? And there are many different purposes in prayer. As a matter of fact, I sent out that questionnaire to a lot of our leaders and they sent that back to me and and they listed many of the wonderful things and purposes of prayer in the Bible. But the case I am making to you this morning is that there is one purpose that stands above every other purpose for prayer. There is one purpose of prayer that feeds and gives life to all those other purposes. And that purpose is very simply to be with God. That God has offered you and I an opportunity when we pray to be with Him relationally. To connect with Him. Not as some far off distant God, but someone who will be with you and present with you where you are. And I think this is so important because if we fundamentally do not view prayer as an opportunity and a calling to be with God, then what prayer will become for us is what one writer called a fire escape in difficult times. Prayer will be that thing that we do that we cry out to God when we have no other solution. When we have no other way out and then we'll go pray. When our life gets filled with worries and cares and we need help and we'll go to God and we'll look for a way out. And that will be what prayer is for us if we don't fundamentally view it as an opportunity to just be with the God who loves us and who we claim and pray and confess to love.
Prayer will be a responsibility and a burden rather than a gift and a joy. If we don't see it as our chance to be with our Father. And if we don't embrace being with God as the primary purpose for which we pray, then we will always stumble when our prayers seemingly go unanswered. If prayer for us is primarily about making our requests known, then we will fail to see the purpose of continuing in prayer when we have those times where those requests are not answered. If prayer is just about making petitions and getting answers, then if we don't see our prayers being answered in the way that we expected or the time, we'll walk away from prayer. But for the Christian who understands prayer is primarily about being with God, then you are, you are in a good place that even when those prayer requests, those answers don't come immediately or in the way that you want to, you don't give up on prayer because prayer for you is about being with your Father. A.W. Tozer, in another book in the library that I plugged earlier, said that prayer should be an expression of your entire Christian life. In all of my years of preaching, I have never had a cricket jump on the prayer podium as I was preaching. But today that just happened. All right. And I'm just going to be honest, it scared me just a little. But anyway, A.W. Tozer said that prayer should be an expression of your entire Christian life, not just one aspect of it. A believer will want to cultivate prayer so that it becomes as natural to them as breathing. That's the goal. That prayer for us as a believer is as natural as breathing in and out. You don't tell yourself to breathe, at least not very often. Maybe if you run a marathon or you climb a hill or something like that. But for the most part, you you don't get up and just say, i got to remember to breathe today. Like you just, you breathe. You want to cultivate prayer in your life that it's not something you have to just remind yourself to do, but it's natural. Because it's an expression of your entire Christian life. That yes, you have times that you go alone and intentionally be with God in a prayer closet or you go prayer walk or whatever that may look like. But also prayer is an activity that God has given you to be present with Him all the time throughout your day. So you just can continually pray. Your whole day. And it becomes this expression of your Christian life. If you're, if you're sad, you pray. If you're joyful, you pray. If you want to learn something, you you pray. If you need something, you pray. If you want to thank God, you pray. Just your whole day. It's an expression of that Christian life because prayer is this constant drawing close to God. Because that's where a spiritually healthy believer wants to be. We want to be with God. And we want God to be with us. And prayer connects us to Him. If I, w- if I was to use the word this morning, prayer warrior, I imagine some of you immediately would have a name that comes to your mind. And I, I don't deny at all, as a matter of fact, I would affirm that God does anoint and gift certain people with a... I think a special ability, a talent, a gifting to be able to pray, especially to pray for others in intercession. But I think sometimes we use the term prayer warrior like this special class of Christian that none of us could actually attain to or hope to be. What if a prayer warrior was simply someone who wanted to continually be with God moment by moment throughout their day. And they saw prayer as the way of doing that. Then every Christian becomes that thing. That prayer warrior. That person of prayer. Because it's just natural to them in the Christian life. Let 
Here's the reality. Some of us, we need to learn how to pray. It's a very difficult thing. We don't know how to pray. Or we know how to pray a certain way, but we're, we're, we're used to praying in that way and we're kind, of, we're kind of stuck in that mold and form and we need some helps to be able to, to know how to draw closer to God and let prayer, let prayer be more vibrant for us, more earnest for us. But if we're really throwing all of our cards on the table, if we're really going to be transparent and we're really going to try to understand what's happening in our heart, the reality is sometimes we don't pray because we don't long for God. We don't have a desire for Him. We don't have a desire to be with Him. And therefore, we don't pray. Not in the way that the Bible presents us to pray. As fellowship with God. And when I say that to you, I'm not saying that to you, I'm saying that with you. Because my times of prayerlessness, that's what that is. I'm distracted. I am enamored by other things. And I'm not longing to be with my Father. And if that is you, if that is me, then what is our hope? What is it? Where is our hope? Not, not just that we can become someone who loves prayer, but that what is our hope in having affection for God so that we don't have prayerlessness? And our hope is Jesus. And our hope is in what Jesus does, which is seen in a very odd event in His life presented to us in Mark chapter 11. In Mark 11, and what Rob read for us this morning, we see a picture of what, by the way, was likely the second time in three years that Jesus had entered the temple where the Jews were worshiping and created a firestorm. It's very likely He did this once at the beginning of His ministry and then here in Mark chapter 11 at the very end of His ministry. And this picture of Jesus is one that, it's unique it's not how we see Jesus being in the rest of His ministry. And so, some people stumble over this picture of Jesus. Other people, they really embrace it. You know, they, it's that kind of, yeah, it looked like Jesus just, I understand Jesus sometimes, that's how I want to act too. And they just, they, they embrace that picture. It's very important for us to understand, though, why Jesus did what He did. And what the motivation was of Jesus in what is called the temple cleansing. In John chapter 2, verse 17, which is probably related to the first time Jesus did this, we are given the only mention in the Gospels of the emotion of Jesus during this moment of going into the temple and cleansing the temple and overturning these tables and driving people out. And the remark that is made is when Jesus' disciples saw what He did, they were reminded of a psalm, 69 verse 9, zeal for your house has consumed me. And what we learn from that is Jesus, in this picture in Mark 11, is acting out of zeal. It is a word that can mean passion and fire and earnestness, intense conviction. Was he angry? Was he frustrated? He was convicted in a passionate way. And he was acting out of that zeal. And what was that zeal about? In your handout, in your worship guide, Jesus is zealous to purify the hearts of His people. Jesus has a zeal to purify the hearts of of his people. Jesus says in Mark 11, when he connects what he did with teaching, he said, Here's the problem. You have made this temple of the living God a den of robbers. What does that mean? To understand it, we got to time hop back about 600 years. 
to the prophet Jeremiah in his day, Jeremiah chapter 7. And in Jeremiah chapter 7, God goes to Jeremiah and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go place yourself outside the gate of the temple where everybody comes in. And I want you to stand at that entrance to the temple where people are coming in to worship me and I want you to preach to them as they're going into the temple. And here's what I want you to tell them. You must change your ways. That was the message. And God goes on to tell tell Jeremiah that my people are living as hypocrites. They are living in a way of all kinds of sinfulness. They are engaged in injustice and oppression and idolatry. Yet, even though I've went to them many times and I've spoken to them through you and through the prophets... They won't listen and they don't turn from their actions. But what they do is they keep coming back to this temple and they think because they come here and they practice their religion and they go through these rituals that everything's okay. And God goes on to say that this pattern of behavior is that they sin and then they come to the temple and they do their practice and then they leave. And they think because they did this practice, everything's okay. Yet when they leave, nothing changes and they keep doing the same things they've been doing. They keep sinning over and over and over again. And they are treating this temple like a den of robbers. What is a den of robbers? It's the home base of the violent thieves. It's the place that after they do their thievery, after they do all their actions, they go back to the place where they feel safe and they hide out until the next time for them to leave and go do the same things all over again. And God said, that's what you're doing to this temple. It's become your den of robbers. It's become the the place you feel safe. Because you think, because you're Jews and because you're called by my name, that if you come here and you do the rituals that it really doesn't matter how you live. And God told Jeremiah, if these people don't change their ways, I will tear this temple down. And I will scatter them. And ultimately, that's what happened. The issue was, they weren't devoted to God in their hearts. They were just devoted to their religious practice. Let's go back to the day of Jesus. We're back to the modern day temple. Not as grand and glorious as the one in the day of Solomon that he built, but still the temple of God. And in that day of Jesus, it had become a place of commerce. All throughout the temple, you had people who were changing Roman currency over to the Jewish shekel that they could use to pay the temple tribute. That was something they were supposed to do, but these money changers saw a good opportunity. Hey, all all the Jews need to come in. They need to change their money out. We'll just do it right here. It would be very convenient for them. We're going to charge them a very large fee for that convenience, and we'll make some profit. And then you had other people that saw that was going on, and they said, well, here's another good idea, because you're supposed to bring these animals, these doves and these pigeons, to offer to God. So rather than them have to bring those from a far-off place, we'll just set up tables right here. We'll sell them here on site. Funny as it may be, it's like buying a, buying a bottle of Coke at Six Flags, right? You're going to pay about three times as much if you went to Dollar Tree or something, and that's what they were doing. They would charge high prices to make as much money as they could. This is a good place for us to do our business. And the people loved it because it was convenient for them. And then you had people, if you notice in Mark 11, it says he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. You had people who simply walked through the temple because it was the quickest way to get access from one place to another. Rather than walk all the way around the temple, they would just go through the courtyard. And what Jesus said in all of this, what he was showing is that You are completely obstructing what this place is supposed to be about. It isn't about you making money. It is not about your convenience. It is about the worship of the living God. Jesus is zealous to purify the hearts of His people so that, in your worship notes, they might worship God without hindrance. 
The purpose of the zeal of Jesus is to remove that which we would make worship about in order that we are able to get back to what it is supposed to be about. Our love for God. Jesus works to remove every hindrance. We have this picture of the fiery Jesus turning over the tables. In John, by the way, he fashioned a whip to drive people out. But what he was doing was trying to get people back. This place is about the worship of God. Rather than a den of robbers, Jesus said this place is to be a house of prayer. What does that mean? That term comes from Isaiah 56, and it's alluded to in 1 Kings 8, when Solomon prays over the temple. In both of those passages, what is said is that God intends to draw all people to Himself, even foreigners, those outside the people of Israel. And and in the building of that temple, that people from All nations might come from far away to seek God because they have heard of His name and of His power and His works among the Jews and that they might pray toward that temple where they know that God exists because that's where God dwelt in that day. And God would hear them and answer them that they might know Him and fear His name. And one day when the Messiah came, every person, even those foreigners from outside of Israel, would be able to enjoy the salvation of God and enter into the temple to worship in His presence. And so it is said, God's statement is, this temple therefore will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So the term house of prayer means that the temple of God is the place to where worship happens And prayer is one of the primary means by which we worship. And here is how we apply this to ourselves, or at least we need to start. The temple isn't a building anymore. The temple is not a building. Today, if you can see that sin has polluted your life and has separated you from God, like that foreigner looking at the temple in the distance, and if you believe and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who is willing to forgive you and willing and able to purify your heart, then the promise is that the very presence of God will live in you. Is that mysterious? Absolutely. Which is why the Bible says we can only believe these things by faith. But the promise is that the Spirit of God lives in you, will live in you, which means you are now the temple of God. You as a believer are the house of God which is what we're called in Hebrews. And the church together is the household of God. That's what we're being built into. And so the point I want to make is Jesus is still zealous to purify His temple. But it is no longer about a building. He is zealous to purify you and your heart as His temple And Jesus does the work of coming into our life and turning over our money tables and driving out the things that would distract us from worship to purify us so that we can truly worship God and, this final note in your worship guide, delight in constantly being in His presence. Jesus wants to do a work in our hearts whether you have just become a Christian or today is the day you cry out to be saved or you've been a Christian for decades, He wants to do the work in our heart to continually purify our heart. That ultimately we can delight in being in His presence. Prayer is a significant part of worship. Prayer is an activity that God has given you that you might fellowship with Him. It is a way in which you communicate with Him. And He communicates with you. And I hope and intend for us to talk about that as we go through this series. It's the picture Jesus gave us in that opening Scripture reading today. 
We're not prohibited from praying publicly. We're not prohibited from praying among one another. We're not prohibited from praying for our needs, but what Jesus is showing us in that Matthew 6 passage is that the reward of a believer in prayer is God. That He's the reward. The reward of prayer is not the answered request. The reward of prayer is being with your Father. And for you to grow in delighting in that. And that's what I long to do. I long to delight more in being with God. I long to delight more in my times of fellowship with Him and in being in relationship with Him. And I desire that for this church. That we would be a people who long to be with our Father and that we would see prayer as a means by which we are with our Father. And therefore, we would pray. Not as a religious practice. Not like the people going to the temple just to do what they know they're supposed to do. But prayer that places us in the presence of God. I long to hear in your personal life growing in joy in prayer. And I long to see that in my own. I think prayer will always be hard to a degree because we're human. I mean, what, what did Jesus tell His disciples that last night in the garden before He was arrested? He kept having to go back to them and say, Wake up! Your, your spirit's willing, your body's weak, wake up and pray! And then He would go off and pray and He'd come back and they were asleep again. Some of us, we're honest, would be like, that, that would have been me. So I think prayer will be hard because of our humanity. But the hope for revival in our hearts for prayer is revival in our hearts for love for God. And understanding prayer is a means by which we are with Him. And Christ is our hope. So if you see you're prayerless and you recognize that you're prayerless because honestly, in your heart of hearts, you know you don't really long for God and you don't really have affection for Him, your hope is to go to Jesus and ask Jesus to change your heart and make you more affectionate for God. And then don't wait for that to happen, to draw near to God in prayer, but run to God in prayer and lead your heart, like we talked about in Proverbs. That final blank in your worship guide, in Christ, believers are now the house of prayer. For the rest of this series, when we you see that title or you hear us talking about it, I want you to have that picture. The house of prayer is you. When we come together, we are the household of God. Ephesians says we're being built up into the household of God. So we are being built together into a household of prayer. And you individually, you're the house of prayer. You are the place where worship happens. You are the place where prayer happens. You are the temple that the foreigner can see from far away. You are the place that those outside of Christ can see the worship of God happening through prayer and be moved by that so that they long for it themselves. You are the place where God will display His power in prayer. You are the place where you will pray for bold things and you will see God move. And some of those things only you will know about. Some of those things many will know about. I hope to do something similar to when we went through the letters of Revelation to start the year. If you remember, I gave you one word for every one of those letters to try and help jog our memory and remind us what that letter was about. My intention is to do one word sermon titles for this series 
to just try to help us remember what each one is about. And today I chose the word present. Because what I want us to remember and what I wanted to lay before you today is that the foundation of the purpose of prayer on which every other purpose is built is to be present with the Lord. That when you pray, you are present with God and He is present with you. But I also wanted you to think of it in the term of a gift. It is the gift of God. It is the present of God to you to be able to pray. It's a gift. This week I watched an interview on social media with our very own Joshua Dean. And in his interview, he was being asked essentially about the value of this local business association that he is serving as the president of this year. He spoke very passionately about it. He's a very persuasive fellow. I kind of wanted to join, and I don't know anything about building anything. And in that video, Josh mentioned that because of his position within this association, that he had formed a connection with this other business owner who had co-founded a business that was 300 times bigger than his own. And he mentioned this guy by name several times. And he said, because of my position in this association and because what what this association has given to me, this guy knows my name. And, And I have his cell phone number and I can call him and he will answer. And I had no idea who the guy was. It meant nothing to me. He eventually named his business, and I had heard of it before. But I started thinking, how would I connect to that? What would that look like for me? What would the enthusiasm be? Who would it be for me that I look up to? Someone that has some type of influence, measure of influence in a field that I am interested in, that I'm passionate about. So in ministry for me, that might be a guy named Paul David Tripp. Dr. Tripp is a a pastor and an author that I extremely admire, primarily because I think he is gifted with wisdom. I think he displays wisdom in his character and the way he counsels and pastors, and I admire the quality of wisdom. I long for wisdom. I've prayed for that gift for years and years. So for me, if, if Paul David Tripp knew who I was and I had his cell phone number, And I could pick up the phone and call him, and he'd be like, oh, yeah, that's David. I'll answer that. Like, that would blow my mind. That would be immensely exciting to me. I imagine across this room right now, you could think of someone you greatly admire in some field you're interested in. Somebody that you could say, if that scenario played out in my life, if that person knew my name, if that person would take my calls... That, that would be pretty surreal. That would be pretty amazing. I would post about that. I'd talk about that like I would rejoice in that. And I want to say to you this morning that there is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having influential people in your life. But every single day of our lives, we can wake up and call the creator and sustainer of everything we see, and He will answer. Every single day of our life, we can call upon the most majestic and holy being in all the universe, and in Christ, He knows our name, and He will answer. And church, that cannot be a small thing to us. If I would be more excited by Paul David Tripp knowing my name and answering the phone than I am going before God in prayer, there is a problem in me. There is a problem with my heart. If I am not excited and enthusiastic about the opportunity to have an audience with the living God because He loves us that much. And He offers Himself to us. It must not be a little normative thing to us that we can pray. 
It must not just be this thing that we do to have our request heard. He will answer. And the only real limit to the amount of time and fellowship that you have with Him are the limits we choose. If Paul David Tripp would take my call, I guarantee you, it wouldn't be for a long time. If the person Josh mentioned in the video the other day, would, he'll answer his call, but he ain't going to talk to him for three hours because he's got things to do. The only real limit on the fellowship we can have with the Lord is our own humanity and the fact that we're going to eventually fall unconscious in sleep. And the limits we put on ourselves in whether or not we will pray throughout our day. Our lives show our desire to be with God. So I want us to know at the very beginning of this series that God wants to dwell with us. He wants to be with us. He wants to have intimate connection and fellowship with us. And I know, I know there are some people have, they have issues with using words like that to talk about our relationship with God. And I think you've got issues with a lot of the Psalms. You've got issues with a lot of the Old Testament. Because you really can't get over that picture in the Bible of God offering to us and desiring intimate fellowship. Heartfelt connection. And the beginning of what I want you to know in this series is that prayer is primarily about that. And if you can be honest and you can say, I struggle because I don't know how to pray, then we want to help you. I hope this series helps you, but there are people in this church that we know what it's like to struggle to find the words to pray. But if you look at it and you say, in my heart of hearts I know, I don't long for God. Your answer is Jesus. He is alive and His Word says He intercedes for you. He will pray for you. And if you will confess to Him, my affection for God is low and so my prayer life is not much to it. Jesus is zealous to correct that. And He will if we ask Him. I want us to be a house of prayer where we see the need to pray, but where we joyfully do it together. And we scatter and we pray. And to begin with, our love for God must be strong. I want to ask the worship team if they'll come up. I want to invite us this morning to worship and sing to God. And I want to invite us this morning to take what He is sharing with us and pray. What He is speaking to us In the Bible, the only true wrong response I can think of is to harden our hearts when God speaks. To not respond to what He's saying. So this morning, whatever He is saying, whatever He is revealing, will you respond to Him? Will you run to Him and pray where you are or up front? In just a moment, we'll have some prayer partners over here to my left. They will pray with you. They will go before God with you to pray for whatever you are concerned about. Maybe it's directly connected to what we've talked about. Maybe it's indirectly connected. Maybe it's a burden that is apart from these things. But today's a good day to practice prayer as we're talking about it. Father, I thank you today that you have given us the present of prayer. 
And God, that you have told us that to pray is to be present with you. I ask God that that would not be a little thing to us. I ask God that you would help me to long for more of you and to learn what it means to pray continually, to be with you and to seek you out and to have a life connection with you, to abide with you in prayer. I want to learn that and I want to long for that and I pray it doesn't have to be through crisis. I pray it would be by the power of the Holy Spirit and I ask that for our church that you would make us houses of prayer. The place where worship happens, the temple of God, our own hearts and minds. That we would be the houses of prayer and the places by which we are communing with God and where other people who don't know you would see your worship happening. And I pray that you would build this church into a household of prayer. That we come together. That we would delight in praying and of worshiping through prayer, aided by your word, aided by singing. And that we would display in this church not only an awareness of how much we need to pray, but a delight in doing it. That people would come in here and see the importance we put on prayer, but they would also see that we joyfully pray. We're eager to pray. God, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus, anyone watching this on replay, would you today cause them to cry out to Christ and be saved? But would you purify, Jesus, all of our hearts? That the money tables that distract us from true devotion will be overturned this morning. And that we would worship our God in spirit and truth. In your name I ask these things. Amen.